Hey, good morning. Welcome to church. <laughs> Welcome to South Bay. Welcome to everybody watching. Uh, if you are new this morning, want to personally just welcome you. Thank you for joining us uh, for the first time. My name is Greg, just as uh, Pastor Dave shared, and I get to continue on in the series that we've been in called What We Believe, and we're talking about what we believe, the Bible says, and we're moving into what we believe about the church. What does the Bible say about the church? Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I was up here and I, I said that I was going to come back and address the Supreme Court decision that reversed Roe versus Wade. And so that's what I want to do today. Abortion, I know, is one of the most divided, hotly debated, polarizing topics in our day. I get that. And so the question I want to ask today as it relates to the church is to answer the question, who is the church and how are we supposed to respond to culturally controversial topics like the reversal of Roe v. Wade? Now, this is on my heart to share with the church, not just as it relates to church and abortion, but I hope to just really lay out some overarching biblical principles that will help us respond well to this issue, but also other cultural conversations like gay marriage, race, marijuana, gender, and other topics like that. How do we as a church respond but since abortion is a major conversation going on right now, I want to talk specifically about this reversal of Roe versus Wade. Some background in case you haven't been following along and you're not sure exactly what we're talking about. Let me, let me try to catch you up to speed. But in 1973, almost 50 years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled based off the woman's right to privacy off the 14th Amendment, in effect declared that abortion is a constitutional right. That's what they said about 50 years ago. Well, last month in June, on June 24th, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed that decision. They reversed Roe v. Wade, and they said, in effect, it is not a constitutional right to have an abortion. And that has led to all sorts of reactions and responses from people all over the nation. Now, just to be very clear, that doesn't mean abortion is illegal or it's been outlawed. Right? It also doesn't mean that the, the woman has lost her voice or her ability to speak up. The truth is half the states in the nation will keep it legal and half the states will be stricter on their laws. All this decision has said is that the power is now in the hands of the state to decide what laws they want to make regarding abortion. So the power is now back into the hands of the state. So... I know that as I talk about this topic, there are people inside and outside the church who have different opinions, we have different positions, we have different emotional reactions even as I speak about this. I know that there are those of us who hold to the teaching of Scripture. You say, I believe in this word, and because every life, even the unborn, is created in the image of God, that life matters. And so we should fight for the dignity and the honor of the unborn. I know that there are others of us who hold to the teaching of Scripture. And you would say that the, the woman is also created in the image of God. And so her rights and her needs and her health should be honored. I know there are some of us who, when you hear the church talking about abortion, you cringe. 
You tense up because you hate how the church comes off, their tone and their posture and their actions and how the church is viewed by the world and you kind of want to separate yourself from that. I know there are some of us who at the talking of this topic, you cringe and you tense up because it reminds you of pain from the past. Because maybe you've had an abortion or somehow you've been impacted by an abortion. And it's like you could never actually feel the forgiveness and the grace that the church says that you have available to you. And you feel like you're being reminded again of the pain of the past and this guilt and shame is revived. I want to say if any of those descriptions describe any of you today, please understand that I have prayerfully prepared this message over the past two weeks with you in mind. And so I just ask that you would prayerfully listen to the entire message and let the Holy Spirit speak to you in ways that he would want to speak to you individually, but also you as a church, us as a church. And I pray that by the end of this time, we would all be giving thanks and praise in our hearts and wanting to glorify together, glorify God together as one. And so that moment you feel like checking out or, or tuning out or turning off because you just heard something that you don't want to hear, I pray that you would press through and let the Holy Spirit speak. Okay, so before we start, let's pray. Would you pause and let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to speak to us, his church. Lord, we uh, are very intentional about this pause right here because we, we know that this topic is one that is not easy to talk about and some of us really don't want to be here right now. But we're here. And I pray that by your sovereignty, we would hear what you want, to hear, want us to hear about your heart, about your word, about your truth. And most importantly, Lord, teach us how to respond as your people. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a time that truly edifies each one of us and that it would edify us collectively as a church, God. And I pray that you would bring us together in unity, Lord, that we would be found standing at the same place, and that's on your word, under God. But Lord, I pray that this time would also bring healing. It would be a time full of your grace and your truth. Lord, I pray I really, really pray that people don't hear a man's opinion, that people don't hear a man's bias. We don't need that, God. I pray that we hear from the Holy Spirit of God. So speak to us now. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The study of ecclesiology is the study of the ecclesia. Now, ecclesia is a Greek word that's translated assembly, often also translated church. That's the ecclesia. Now, this is a word that's made up of two words. Ek means out from, and ecclesia comes from the word kaleo, which means to call. And so the church is the called out ones, those who are called out by God. And so I love the picture of, of a people in a community being called out of their homes to assemble together, to gather together, or being called out from their tents to gather in the central place. Why? 
so that God can speak to his people. One commentary put it like this. They said the biblical ecclesia, the church, is a body of people not assembling to share their own thoughts and opinions, but assembling to listen to the voice of God. That's what the church is. So we come together. What is God saying to us? And so when we, the called out ones, are called out, we know that Christ, first of all, calls out individuals to take up their cross and to follow him. That's a daily choice that we have to make. It's an individual choice to take up the cross and follow him. And yet we also know that God calls these individuals, Christ calls these individuals to an assembly, to gather into his church. And so the gathering is this corporate aspect of the church that's core to our identity. It is in the name. We are an assembly. And so you will be sure to hear about that in the coming weeks. We are meant to gather. Now, I want to turn you to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or your apps, turn to Matthew chapter 5 because this is the passage we're going to be into today. And I want to read from verses 13 to 16. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus says to the ones he's calling. He says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's Jesus' teaching. I want to give you two observations from this teaching. If you're taking notes, maybe you have a journal or maybe you have your uh, phone open. But write this down. Here's the first observation. Number one, we are called out to be the salt of the earth. We're called out to be the salt of the earth. Now, salt has many properties, many qualities. And Jesus probably had several different qualities in mind as he's telling the people, you're to be the salt of the earth. And one of the most common uses of salt was as a preservative. So it would delay decay. Right back then, they don't have refrigerators. And so they would take salt and they would rub it into the meat or the food to delay the decay, to keep it from going bad, from, from rotting. It would preserve it. And so salt was really valuable in the ancient days. It was very valuable to the point where Roman soldiers would get paid in salt. That's where we get the word salary, right? Sal is Latin for salt. That's how they got paid. And so because salt was a preservative, it delayed decay. Jesus is calling his people, you are to be the salt of the earth. What does he mean by that? He says, well, you are to help in the process of delaying the decay. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 about the last days. There's going to be a moral decline, a moral decay. It says this, understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do we see any of that today? Absolutely. He goes on in that chapter to say that evildoers will become even more evil. They will go from bad to worse, and this will become normal. And so the world around us will naturally decline. The moral standards will decline, and it will be normal to the people. And so you are to be the salt of the earth. We are to help delay decay. How? By preserving kingdom values, by living out kingdom norms. That's what we're called to. Now, I can name a number of ways that we can preserve kingdom values. There's a lot of ways we could do that. I want to share one in particular, in particular, in light of today's discussion. I want to share one important way. Followers of Christ should do what we can to work for, to push for, to vote for legislation and laws that are going to represent kingdom values. And this is something the Lord is convicting me of personally more and more. We want legislation that's going to uphold kingdom values. But listen to this. We don't want legislation and laws so that we can exert our opinion on other people. We don't want to shove our religion on other people. We don't want to push for laws so that we can shut the opposing people up or the opposing positions up. That's not why legislation is important to us. We want legislation and laws that live out kingdom values. Why? So that we can experience the abundance of life that God desires for his people. So that we can experience the shalom, the peace, the wholeness that glorifies God. That we would experience social well-being that God desires for this world. And so when legislation gets passed, that is in line with kingdom values, we shouldn't be quick to turn to Twitter and rub it in people's faces and gloat as if we just won a cultural war. We should humbly turn to God and humbly give thanks that his righteousness is being preserved. And so, church, you need to know that your pastors and your elders here, we believe that we should humbly rejoice and humbly give thanks for the reversal of Roe v. Wade. We agree that this decision is something that we should humbly give thanks for. Why? Because it is moving us closer to kingdom values and not further away from it. And that's worth giving thanks for. Now, what do you mean kingdom values? What are you talking about? Let me get a little bit specific. What are some kingdom values that we ought to live by? Let me give you one right now. I'm going to give you two by the end of today. But here's the first one. If you're taking notes, here's a kingdom value. Life matters. Period. You could go ahead and add a period. Life matters. Turn with me to Psalm 139, 13 through 16. You probably have heard this verse. 
The psalmist says this to God, for you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So that life imagined by God, ordained by God, envisioned by God, formed by God, purposed by God, matters to God. And if it matters to God, then it has to matter to us. I don't care what political party you affiliate with. I don't care what side of the conversation you sit on. It has to matter to the people of God because it matters to God. And because scripture exhorts us to speak up and be the voice for the voiceless and the vulnerable, we must not only value every life that God ordains, but we have to fight for the dignity and the worth of the innocent and the helpless because that life matters. Here's what Proverbs 31, 8 says. It says, speak up. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, for all who are powerless, for all who are needy. That includes the unborn who are the most vulnerable among us. But who else does that include? And here's where I want to say, church, if, if we're going to hold to the whole counsel of Scripture, that means we believe everything the Word says, not just one part of it. We believe every part of it. And if we passionately value the life that's been created in the image of God inside of the womb, then we have to believe with just as much fervor the value of every life on the other side of the womb. And that includes the woman who has had an abortion or several abortions. That includes the woman who today currently is thinking about getting an abortion. That includes the, the man who's pressuring his girlfriend to get an abortion. That includes the Republican who doesn't agree with you. That includes the Democrat who doesn't agree with you. That also includes the Muslim and the Jew and the atheist. And the Catholic, that includes the homosexual, that includes the heterosexual, that includes the transgender, and that includes the cisgender. Every life created in the image of God matters. Matters to God and it needs to matter to us. I love how Tony Evans puts, Tony Evans puts it. He says the church needs to have a womb to tomb agenda. Where, where, where the church comes alongside and loves every life from inside the womb until they reach the tomb and every life in between because that life has been formed and created wonderfully by the hands of God. They've been created in the image of God. This past week, I got to reconnect with a, with a brother of ours here at South Bay Community Church. He doesn't live here anymore. He lives in Indiana. But some of you guys have met Adrian Williams. 
If you know Adrian Williams, you might not know that when Adrian was born, he was actually born during the second trimester of the pregnancy. And he, when he came out of the womb, he was a little more than one pound. A little more than one pound. And when many lives are aborted at the same point on the timeline, I thank God that there's a whole team of people who saw that this life mattered and they fought for his life. I thank God that they fought for his life. They valued his life and because they fought for Adrian's life, this one pound baby was able to eventually put on over 200 pounds <laughs> as he went on to play football for his high school team and went on to play basketball for his high school team and more gloriously went on to play for Team Jesus. This is Adrian getting baptized here at South Bay Community Church as he declared his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this next part of his story, I didn't know if I should share. And he said to me, Greg, this has to be shared. This is my story. It has to be shared. Adrian got caught up in sin. He got caught up in alcohol, abuse, substance addiction. And, and, and when he got caught up in that, many of you would say that's immoral. Many of you would say that's unbiblical. Some of you would say that that is not in line with the teaching of God. I, I do not agree with those choices and that lifestyle. And you would be absolutely right in that. But I want to ask you, at what point does his life not matter? At what point do you stop loving him? And the answer is, you don't. And I thank God that there are those of you in this church family who kept loving him. There are those of you who kept reaching out to him. There are those of you who would text him. There are those of you who would pray for him. There are those of you who would walk with him. I thank God that a, a Christian brother called him up and connected him to a ministry called Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge, but it was in Indiana. And I thank God that Adrian responded and he moved to Indiana. And when I heard about this ministry, which helps people experience the power of God to break free from life-controlling issues like alcohol and drugs, I, I, I rejoiced that, that he was getting connected to people who were going to continue to walk with him. This past week, as I'm FaceTiming with Adrian in my office and I see him on the computer screen, my heart is leaping for joy. Why? Because this is what I saw as I looked at Adrian on my computer screen. That's Adrian in his office, in his uniform, there at Teen Challenge, where he is now a program manager. Helping other kids experience God's freedom from life-controlling substances. With joy, he told me, I'm on my way. I'm working to becoming a director in this program. I thank God that his life mattered. That his life value was valued not just at one pound in the second trimester, but also 
at his darkest, most needy, most unrighteous hour, he was shown compassion and dignity and worth so that now today he can help show compassion and dignity and worth to other people who are living with bad choices, making mistakes, yet whose lives matter just as much. Every life matters from the womb to the tomb. So we do not stop loving at any point. With the reversal of Roe versus Wade, the truth is access to abortion is going to be, become more difficult for people, for preg pregnant women across this nation, even in California where it's still legal. Why? Well, because now more abortion clinics in states like California will become full. There might be a traffic jam because people from other states will flock to states like California in order to get their abortion. And some women will be left sitting in fear and despair, wondering what option they have now, wondering what hope they have now. And I want to say to you, church, this is not the time. This is not the time for anyone against abortion to beat their chest and to flex their muscles as if a cultural war has been won. This is the time for us, church, to be the compassion of Christ. This is the time for us to actually reach out and to help someone who needs hope. To beat our chest and to, to turn to the social media and to boast and to gloat over this victory may make the church the last place a woman looking for hope or looking for help would run to. There is no room for that. This is time for us to be the compassion of Christ to lives that matter. Countless babies, countless lives will be saved with this Supreme Court decision, and we praise God for that. And I also pray that countless mothers and countless fathers, countless would-have-been mothers and countless would-have-been fathers would be shown the same degree of compassion and love and fight from the church on their behalf. This is our time. This is our time to shine. Because if we're trying to preserve and live out kingdom values, we will live like every life matters. You are the salt of the earth. But also, Jesus goes on to say, you're the light of the world. We continue on in verse 14 and 16. This is what Jesus says after he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me give you observation number two. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Observation number two, we are called to be the light of the world. It's time to shine, church. You are called to be the light of the world. Of the world. Now, in this context, it's very clear what Jesus is saying in that light isn't supposed to be hidden, right? Light is seen, and that's something we all get. We we understand that. But but what's he really saying? He's saying it's not meant to be hidden, it's meant to be seen. You don't hide it under a bushel. No. You gotta let it shine. 
But he said, you let it be seen for a purpose. There's a reason to this. Why is it important that your light shines? So that, he says in verse 16, so that people will give glory to the Father in heaven. So that people will end up praising the Father in heaven. The victory for the church isn't when we're able to shut down those who have a different opinion than us. The victory is not when we win a battle so that they can see that we're right and they're wrong and we drive a, a greater divide. There's a greater divide between us and them. Our light and our good works ought to draw people to the light so that they would see the light and love the light. That's why your light has to shine. Sometimes Christians can speak and act in such a way that causes people who disagree become more passionate about their disagreement. We harden hearts, and that should not be. Sometimes we can be so reckless in our righteousness, kind of like the Pharisees, which, to be honest, isn't righteousness at all. Jesus says, no, you are to be the salt and the light. Salt isn't just a preservative. It's meant to be savory and flavorful. It's not just bright. It's meant to be attractive and desirable. Our goal when we let our light shine is to draw people to the light. To draw them in. Why? So that one day they will praise the Father who is in heaven, who we pray becomes their father, and they the sons and daughters of God. Live in such a way that those opposed to the kingdom and its values will be drawn to our king and his values. So here's kingdom value number two. Kingdom value number two, if you want to write this down in your notes, eternal life matters. Eternal life matters. Not, not only does physical life matter, but also eternal life matters, spiritual life matters. And if you want to talk about kingdom values, a prime kingdom value is found in the Great Commission, where Christ calls the people, calls the church to go and make disciples of all nations, anywhere and everywhere, show them that Jesus Christ is King, He is Lord, He is Savior. That is all throughout the Bible. That is a kingdom value that we must hold to. The church is not called, believe it or not, the church is not called to win elections. We're called to win souls. We're not called to win elections. We're called to a great commission. That's our priority. I love how David Platt puts it. He says this. He says, yes, we desire, we work for, we celebrate just laws, leaders, policies, practices, systems, and structures. Yes, yet our primary aim is never new laws. Our primary aim is always new hearts. That's our goal. We want to see new hearts. As we have seen with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, laws can change. But laws don't change hearts. Laws can change, but laws don't change heart, hearts. We can make divorce illegal across the nation. You can't get a divorce, but people will still hate each other in their hearts. Couples will still hate each other. 
We can outlaw and prohibit alcohol, but bootleggers will abound. Every law can line up with the word of God, and you can still have a nation full of people who are far from God. I'll prove it to you. The nation of Israel, have you heard of them? What was their law? This right here. The Mosaic law was what they lived under. The Ten Commandments was their constitution. And yet the people at times became adulterous, idolatrous, rebellious, far from God. When this was the only law they had. And so as much as we fight for and push for legislation and laws, at the end of the day, we have to realize that laws don't always change people's hearts. With the reversal of Roe v. Wade, like I said, California is one of the states where you can still get an abortion. And so people, if they want an abortion, will come and get one. If their heart still desires an abortion, they'll figure out a way. Allah has changed, but hearts remain the same. And out of the heart, a person acts. Josiah Friedman, he, he's the leader of Voice for the Voiceless, and soberly he says this. He says, we know abortion will only end the day it ends in the hearts and minds of the culture. He says, the day it truly ends is when a heart is changed and it becomes unthinkable and undesirable. And so, so more important than abortion being illegal in our nation is that abortion becomes undesirable in every heart and unthinkable in every mind. And the reality is, church, you can't change hearts. You can't change minds. Nor are we called to modify people's behaviors. We're not called to modify behavior. We're called to lead people to the Savior. And the Savior who is powerful enough to change a heart and to save a heart is the one who is able in time to change behavior. So we leave that to God, but our job, our priority is to lead people to the Savior. Believe it or not, prove me wrong, but political signs and picket signs and political opinions don't change hearts. Snarky posts and sarcastic tweets don't change hearts. Guilting and shaming people doesn't change hearts. What changes hearts? A compassionate and gracious God changes hearts. A God full of grace, full of mercy, full of care, and full of love changes hearts. So church, what are we called out to do? Represent that God. Represent him to the world. We're not just called to delay the decay through our laws, but we are also called to deliver the good news of a gracious and compassionate God that he loves you, he created you, you matter to him, and he wants you. Present that God to the world through our light and through our speech, through our actions. And Jesus says in the same way, Verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, see your life, hear your speech, watch your actions, and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Amen? Amen. 
That's the call of the church. And so the question in closing is, what good works? What good works can we do to be the salt and the light? I had like 14 applications. Like so many things running in my Do this, you got to do that, we got to go here, we got to go there. Let me just give you, let me boil it down to two. Two categories. Number one, let's mobilize as a unit. Okay, let's mobilize as a unit. Second one I'm going to give you later, let's move as individuals. But let's talk about the church first. Let's mobilize as a unit. You know, back uh, in my college group, when I was in college at my church, we were all hanging out in the parking lot, and we were trying to decide where we want to go for dinner. And everybody's casting their opinions. And I was trying to eat healthy at the time, so, so I said, let's go to soup plantation. Let's get salads. And everyone's like, no, that's, that's way too healthy. We don't want salads. So everyone kept putting in their opinions. This one guy named Andy, he was fairly new to the group. His name's not really Andy, but we'll call him Andy. He was new to the group, and he goes, no, it's all about Mongolian barbecue. It's all about Mongolia barbecue. You, man, you can get as many noodles as you want, top it off with beef and chicken and pork and they pour oil. And they it's all about Mongolian barbecue. And in my mind, I'm like, I really, really don't feel like eating Mongolian barbecue right now. And then other people are like, no, let's go to In-N-Out. Let's go here. Let's go there. But Andy kept saying, no, we got, trust me, Mongolian barbecue. And finally, everybody, I guess out of, out of love for him, since he was kind of new to the group, they, they said, all right, let's just go to Mongolian barbecue. And inside, I'm like, oh, die to myself, die to myself. All right, fine. So we go to our cars, and we all go to meet at Mongolian barbecue. I'm not happy with the decision, but I go anyways. I'm just dying to myself. And we get to the restaurant. We all get our table. I go, where's Andy. And they say, oh, he said he had to eat with his family tonight. <laughs> so why is he making so much noise? Why is he pushing so hard and fighting so hard for Mongolian barbecue if he's not going to show up? Why would he push it so hard if he knew he wasn't going to show up? Church, I'm telling you, you will be accused of making so much noise, pushing so hard and fighting to end abortion, and then you'll be accused for doing nothing about it, doing nothing to help those who can't get the abortion, of not helping those who actually need help. And I want to say, church, may that never be true of us. May that never be the accusation against us. This is not the time. This is not the time for us to pat ourselves on the back. This is not an opportunity for us to start gloating. This is an opportunity for us to strap our boots, lace it up, roll up our sleeves, and start being the love of Christ and the compassion of Christ and loving more and more to those who need help. This is the time. So what can we do as a church to mobilize? For one, I would love to see a ministry form in this church. I'm not even going to pretend like we have it all together, but I would love to see a ministry start to form where perhaps people can come together and we can think through what it looks like to walk alongside a young mom or maybe a couple who decided we're going to keep this baby, but who foresee the challenges, the frightening challenges before them economically, spiritually, emotionally, 
How are they going to do it? And I pray that this ministry might come alongside them and form a community to provide the emotional care, the, the discipleship, the prayer support, the meals, the, the, the babysitting. How can we help change what was once an unwanted pregnancy to become now a wanted pregnancy because they realize we can do this because we're not going to do it alone. We got the church walking with us. I'd love to see that happen. Maybe this ministry can help think through what partnerships. We had a couple people this week doing some research. Lisa McCommy in our office. I know Rosa sent me some information on some pregnancy help centers. Bible-based, gospel-centered help centers. And before we put it out there for you guys, we want to really do a little bit more thorough um, research and understanding of who they are and what they do before we put it out there. But maybe, maybe that's a part of this ministry where we can develop a healthy partnership with a biblically-based, Christ-centered pregnancy health center where we can provide volunteer help, materials, financial support, and referrals to a place where people can actually come alongside them and give them real hope. So perhaps God's mobilizing us. Yesterday, during the 5 p.m. service, somebody was watching from home and jumped in their car, rushed to church, and as soon as I walked out this door, met me in the hall, said, sign me up. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that ministry. So that's you please reach out and let us know. Secondly, I want to say there, there's a ministry already in place here at South Bay Community Church. It's called Chosen. And so if you go to our website and, and you click on the ministries tab, you'll see Chosen Ministry that started before COVID hit and then COVID hit. But recently, God's been kind of reviving and stirring in hearts to, to really uh, bolster up this ministry. And what it is, it's, it's geared to inspire families to to foster and adopt. And what they do is they help create teams, what they call care communities, to surround families who have made this decision that we're going to foster a child or adopt a child, which we know is not easy. Why? Because parenting, period, is not easy. And yet these care communities come around families who are fostering to provide that emotional support, to pray for them, to offer meals weekly, to help babysit so that this family knows we can do this and we can keep pressing on. And so if this is something you're interested, please go to the website. You don't have to sign up necessarily. You could just reach out to them and say, hey, I'm interested. Get me involved. I want to learn more about this. I know Brian Booth, who is one of the leaders that have chosen, he's been talking with an organization called Foster the City, talking about a, a partnership. What does it look like to train and mobilize the church further to think about fostering and adopting? So stay tuned, and we hope to share more about that um, in, in the future, okay? So that's the first thing. Pray for this church. Pray for us that we would know how to not just talk to talk, but that we would show up. We would fight the good fight, okay? Number two, the last thing I want to say today, today is this. Be moved as an individual. We want to be mobilized as a unit, as a church, but be moved as an individual because we know that movements always start right here. Starts with me. Revivals start right here, right here with me. And so I want to speak to some individuals 
And first of all, I want to speak to the individual who has never been impacted by abortion. You've never had to go through it. You've never thought of it. And I want to encourage you to start right here. Encourage God to move, uh, not encourage God, pray that God would move in your heart and fill you with an empathy for those who have struggled with this issue. After sharing just a brief sentences a couple weeks ago, I mean, I said li- literally a couple minutes worth. I can't tell you how many emails and texts I got from people sharing their story, pouring out their hearts. And as I listened to their stories, my heart broke. My eyes were open to those among us who have been living in the pain of a past abortion. Hearing of how hard healing has been. And a lot of that is because of the condemnation that they felt from other Christians. Being told you're forgiven, but not feeling like I'm forgiven. And that's been incredibly difficult. And I'm telling you personally, it's impacted me and it's changed the way I personally respond to this issue. It hasn't adjusted my position on abortion, not one bit. But it sure has adjusted my posture toward real people who need real grace right now. And I pray that that happens to every heart in this place, every heart listening and watching, that God would so move in our hearts and fill us with a compassion and an empathy that only Christ could give. Pray that he'll give you ears to hear people's story and a heart to to help them heal, that you would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to tweet, Slow to cast any stone. So would you start there? God, move in my heart. Secondly, I want to talk to men in this place. I pray that God moves you toward the life that you help produce. Whether that life is in your home right now or in the womb. Move. This is a responsibility that God has given you. And guys, you play such a big role in this whole issue. You have such a voice and a position of leadership in this issue. Show up. Take responsibility. The God-given responsibility financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. We need to show up. This coming Saturday, Pastor Gary is going to be speaking at the men's gathering. Show up. Every man needs to show up, young and old. We're going to be talking about what it looks like in the eyes of God to be a man. What does that look like? Show up. Move. Lastly, I want to speak to the individual who's had an abortion. Or you've considered it or somehow you've been impacted by it. Can I encourage you to move toward the church? Reach out to us. Because you need to know you are not alone. You are not alone. Say that again, you are not alone. You are not alone. I'm telling you, I've heard from several people in our church family who have opened up about their abortion story. Some, before they were 
Christ followers, some after. And if anyone gets you, they get you. They get the pain. They get the shame. They feel the guilt. They, they know the remorse. And I pray that they would know the redempting power of God in their lives. And part of that redemption, I believe, is when they see God use them and their story to help bring redemption to other stories, perhaps yours. So would you, would you reach out and let us know? I, I reached out to one of these people who shared with me her story. And she said to me, she said, I feel like God's calling me to, to help walk alongside someone who's struggling, who's going through this. I feel like I, I could share my story, but I'm afraid to put myself out there because then people will know what I've done. And I said, I hear that. I get that. I get that. So I said, How, what, what, if, what if this, what if when I give this message, I make an invitation for people who are struggling with this, who, who are walking in pain, what if they reached out and we don't have to make a public ministry about this, we don't have to put any names forward, but what if we can quietly connect you together and then you can share your story and, and walk alongside this person? Right away I got a response, 100% yes, sign me up. I am all about that. I want to do that. I went to another person who shared their story with me. I shared the same idea. Hey, what if we could quietly connect you guys together and you could start walking together? Yes, please, I'll do that. I'll, I'll speak to a group. I'll share my testimony to, to the women's ministry. And, and so there's been this emphatic yes to people who are saying, if my story can help another person, sign me up. Like I told you yesterday, after service, after watching it at home, they rushed to church to say, I'll be part of that. Sign me up. And I'm wondering if, if God is giving purpose to the past. So if that's you would, would you move? Would you reach out and know that you are not alone? Back in May, I gave a message um, on Mother's Day, and I spoke from Matthew chapter one, and it was about the, the four mothers in Jesus' genealogy. And I talked about, in Matthew 1, how there was Bathsheba, who was an adulterer, and Tamar, who slept with her father-in-law, and Rahab, who was a prostitute. And I was talking about how God redeemed their stories and, and was using them in the Messiah's genealogy. After that service, I went to the lobby, and a, a mom came up to me, and she said, this morning, God answered a question that I've been asking for 24 years. And she said, I, I am more than welcome to share this with the church family. She says, 24 years ago, when I was 16 years old, I became pregnant. And she says, it was met with so much shame and so much guilt because I came from a Christian family. And she said, when I was 16 and pregnant, I had a dream, and God clearly gave to me Matthew chapter 1. I had no idea what Matthew 1 had anything to do with anything. What does the genealogy of Jesus have anything to do with, with me? And so she thought, maybe God's telling me I have to call my baby Matthew. <laughs> like, maybe God's giving me the name. Matthew's going to be his name. Well, she gives birth, and it's a girl. So that can't be, and she's wondering for 24 years, what's Matthew 1 all about? 24 years later, she comes to church on Mother's Day, and she said, God spoke to me through Matthew 1. 
and reminded me that my story is not a messed up story, but it's one that he has redeemed for his glory, just like he did for Rahab, just like he did for Bathsheba, just like he did for Tamar. I don't know who I'm speaking to. Maybe you're a man, maybe you're a woman. But you need to know right now that God loves you so much. God loves you so much, and he is not done with you yet. He is writing your story. If God is the God who can take a life and form it in the womb, if God is the one who is able to form life out of nothing, if God is the one who is able to create life out of the dust of the earth, that is proof that our God is able to create beauty from the ashes. Our master can create masterpieces out of our shattered pieces. And church, we will continue to hear testimony after testimony, story after story of redemption if we would continue to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you, our God, are a redeeming God. Lord, if you're able to create beauty out of nothing, we know that you're continuing to form masterpieces out of broken pieces, shattered pieces, Lord. God, we thank you so much that, Lord, you're a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. So, Lord, help us, Lord, moving forward to be a people who honor you, who love what you love, who care about what you care about, who value what you value. Help us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God, we rejoice. We rejoice that there are going to be thousands, if not millions, of lives that you purposed come into this world and live out that purpose for your glory. We praise you for that, God. And Lord, for, for every life right now on this side of the womb, God, we just, we thank you for your mercy, for compassion, for your grace, for salvation, Lord. We all need it. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs forgiveness. None of us are exempt. And so, Lord, we thank you for life, both physical and eternal. And with all our hearts, we want to worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.